in a series where we've been looking at the practices of the early church that allowed them to become a community of jubilees. We spent a long time looking at the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus' announcements, or or the way that his ministry is characterized in Luke, is a ministry of jubilee, that Jesus says, I'm here to bring good news to the poor, sight to the blind, and freedom, release, forgiveness for all of those who are oppressed. And so we started uh, this series, the second part of the series, by looking at the book of Acts, and specifically we were looking at Acts 2, which is a picture that's uh, of, of Jesus' early followers, and they're filled with God's presence, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they're living in a way that shows, showcases and lives into this dream of Jubilee. But for surprisingly for many of us, I think, of all the different practices of the early church that are mentioned in Acts 2, and there's quite a few that are mentioned there, The one that's mentioned most frequently, the thing that they did most often, it sounds like, is actually table fellowship. That is the practice that they had most often. And so the early church came together to break bread, it says, in three different locations. The first is in the temple. So this symbolizes a special gathering, a special time for the family of God. And they had all the different practices that we continue to do today in our our time of gathering this morning, the prayer of musical worship, of fellowship, of serving, and of going to God's word. All of these things are there. And then we also come together and we gather together around a table. And today we're going to do it around two different tables. So we're going to have this table, and then we can join together in a meal downstairs afterwards. And I hope that you'll stick around and and hang out with us there. So communion, we come together, and we call this in, in in the visual here, it's the first one, I guess that'd be on your left, my right, of the close table, and it's called the close circle. It's not closed necessarily, but the idea is that it's a space for those who are coming close to God and close to one another. In our community, we talk about putting Jesus at the center. It's for those who are committed to saying, Jesus is the center of my life, that his story is becoming my story, and I'm moving towards Jesus with the people that are here. Even though we might have a lot of differences, theological, political, philosophical, whatever that you can think of, we might have differences. We come together around the person of Jesus and we choose to move together towards him. And we come to this table not as the host. Jesus hosts us here. He's provided the meal and we've looked at that over the last two weeks. So we come together as guests and we come together to be restoried. That's a huge part of what we've looked at in the last two weeks. The preparation for this time is to come and receive the story, not only the the bread and and the wine, but also the story of God. We're exchanging our stories for his. As we looked at last week, Jesus tells the disciples around the table, it will not be so with you. The story that you come in with from your family of origin, the story that you tell yourself, the story that you've received from our culture is not probably going to be the story that you come to here. Here we come and we learn a different story. I love how Stanley Harawas says this. He says, Jesus is present by his spirit at work in the world outside the church. So the spirit is present everywhere. Yet in the church... The gathering around the Eucharist, around this table, is the one place where we know he's present, where he promises to be present. He promises to be present with us here. And so we take God at his word, that he is present with us as we take time out of our schedules to gather, as we come forward for the table. And so it's here that we learn to recognize Jesus and his work so that, so that we can move into the world and clearly see him there as well. So, as we move now from this table to the other tables, we're taking the same principles and the same ideas that we've learned here, and we're extending the table. How do we take what we've learned here, these practices, these postures, and extend them to the tables of our home 
and then the tables out into the world that we're invited to. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. That's the second two tables. Like I said, in Acts 2, we see them meeting at three different tables. They meet in the temple, and then it says they meet home to home, and we're calling this the dotted circle table. If you want to go back just one, Joel, back one slide. That's the middle one, in our homes. And then the third is the half circle table where we get invited into the world and to become a guest in other people's homes, in parks, in coffee shops, in pubs, wherever it is. And so we're, we're, this morning we're going to be talking about specifically moving from the close table, from the circle on the left, to the circle in the middle, to the table of being in our homes. And again, I want to just remind you here that all the same things that we've been talking about the last few weeks apply. It's the same idea. So the first is our postures. Our postures are the same, and I want to just remind you of what those are. So four different questions. Am I prepared? This is a question we want to ask. Mitch preached on this three or four weeks ago. Are coming to this table prepared? Have I thought about becoming to this space and to this time? Am I, as I come into this space and in this time, and specifically when I come to the table, am I discerning what God is up to? Discerning God's presence. As Harawas says, God is present everywhere, but he becomes manifest in this time amongst, amidst his people, and as we come to the table, am I searching for what God is doing in this time? Searching for resonance, spaces of resonance where God wants to meet you and meet me. The third question, am I ready to submit to what he's doing? Not only do we need to recognize what God is doing, but am I willing to say yes to taking his story into my life? And then the fourth is, am I open to loving one another? All the one another's that it talks about in scripture, to giving and receiving ministry from each other. Last week when we were here, Dan and Meg, uh, who led worship, they just paused for a bit of time and they asked us, they invited us to pray, which is probably pretty uncomfortable for some of us. Some of us were like extroverts, were like, I've just been waiting. You just find the person, I've been, I've been waiting to pray for you. Um, but the introverts among us are just like, okay. Uh, but it's uncomfortable a little bit. But am I open to giving and receiving ministry in this time? Every person who's serving you here on this morning is here to serve, to give ministry to you. Are you open to the same thing? Maybe that's praying with someone. Maybe that's receiving prayer from someone. Maybe that's giving. I don't know what it, God is calling you to, but that's part of what this time is, that we love one another. Because that's what we take into our homes. That's what we take into the world. It's those same postures that we have. The second is we talked a lot about stories when we talked about the close table. And the same idea gets now moved to the tables in our homes. There's three questions here. I think, am I open to sharing my own story? Am I ready to be open and vulnerable with the other people around? And of course, appropriately vulnerable. I'm not asking you to just spew everything out, but appropriately vulnerable with other people in the community. Second, am I open and ready to listen to the stories of other people? And as Jesus-centered people here, what we need to be focused on is moving from judgment or those moments in the someone's story where you're just like, oh, like that was wrong, to moving to a space of curiosity. Tell me more. That's like, I've never heard anyone say anything remotely like that. Tell me a little bit more. So from judgment to curiosity and empathy, am I willing to just spend time and listen to your story, where you might be coming from uh, on this? I'll just maybe a quick anecdote here. My wife and I uh, went to a party with uh, last night. Well, I can tell you why. I'm very proud to tell you why. My hockey team won our championship. So that's really all you need to know. So we host this party at my friend's house in New West, and they brought this rando dude. It just seems like every time we have one of these, we win a lot. Uh, Sorry, that's the other part of the story. We've had several of these parties, and some random guy always shows up. 
So this guy was showed up uh, yesterday. It was a friend of a friend, and he's just telling like all these interesting and kind of weird stories, being a little bit weird. We're, and we're chatting with him and kind of just making space with him and asking some questions. And it turns out afterwards, like I asked another friend about him. I'm like, first of all, who is this person? He just showed, seemed to show up. He doesn't play with us. I've never seen him on the team. It turns out he's like just lost his job on Friday. His, he's getting divorced, just having a really, really hard time. It's like the story behind creates so much more space for me to be like, oh, okay. Like, I can see a little bit of what, what's going on there. And that's what we're invited to do, is listen to the stories of other people. And then the third is to resync around the stories of Jesus. To be in a centered community, the stories are so important, like I've said. That's where grace lives, is in our stories. But we don't, our stories aren't the things that go to the center of the community. That's Jesus' story. So our stories must be told... Our stories must be listened to, but Jesus' story actually lives at the center. And so are we open to recentering and resyncing ourselves around the story of Jesus? So it's the same things we do at this uh, table that we are invited to do at the tables of our, our homes. So it's the dotted table is the same God who's present at the close table. It's the same principles that we apply at this close table, and it's the same postures that we have, but there's one really important difference. At the communion table, at this table, we come as guests. So Jesus is the great host here, and we're served by our brothers and sisters who are here. Jesus has provided the meal, but the tables of our homes, what happens is that we become the hosts. We take the role of the host. So that's the question that we're going to focus on this morning. There's lots that we could talk about, but what does it mean to be a host in a biblical sense? So we're going to look at a passage in, another passage in Luke very briefly. It's a very famous one from Luke 9, so I'm going to read it for us. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. And he took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him, and he welcomed them spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the day, the twelve approached and said to Jesus, send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we're in a deserted place here. You give them something to eat, he told them. Classic Jesus move there. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes unless we go and buy food for all of these people for there are about 5,000 men with them. Then he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did what he said and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. This is God's word. Amen. I like it. Perfect timing. I want to make two quick observations, and then I want to look at three things that this teaches us about being a host, what it means to be a host. So first, I want you to, or you may notice, that when we look at this passage, it it has kind of, it seems like it has absolutely nothing to do with this. There's no wine, there's no table, they're not in a house, and you would be right. Like, what connection does this passage have to what we've been talking about, which is these tables? And so uh, I want to remind you of something that I said a couple weeks ago. So a couple weeks ago when we were looking at Luke 22, I said, tuck away a verse. And it was this one. I'll read it for us again. Luke 22, verse 19. It says, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. And so I said, notice these four words. Take, bless, break, and give. Now, many scholars say that these four words are very excuse me, variations of these words signal a Eucharistic meal 
That something is happening where God is inviting people to come sit down at a table with others and meet him in a special place, in a special way. And so with that in mind, let's look again at the passage we just read, verse uh, Luke 9, sorry. It says, Then Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and he broke them, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. It's the same language. Take, bless, break, and give. These are hosting words. And they link these two stories for us together. They're hyperlinking them. And so it's not the close table. It's not the close table that Jesus is talking about here when he's feeding the 5,000. It's something different, but they, there is a linkage that we're supposed to see between the two of them. One author, when I was doing research for this series, he said that Jesus instituted the Last Supper means that there were many previous suppers. And this is one of the previous suppers. They're linked together in a different way. It's a different table, but there's something we're supposed to notice here. So here's the second thing I want us to notice, and just to set the, set the stage for us, is that at this table where Jesus is, is providing food for the 5,000, the audience is slightly different than they are at the close table. So the characters that we saw when we looked at Luke 22, where Jesus institutes the close table, the communion table, they're all there. So the disciples are, are at this party as well. And they're in the close circle. But then there's just a bunch of other randos who have showed up in this passage. So it says that there's just the crowds. The crowds who are there. And there are people who have heard about Jesus and they're curious. And it says that Jesus welcomes them. That he talks to them about the kingdom. And that he heals them. That he ministers to these people. And that's why David Fitch, who is somebody that, he's an author that I'm borrowing very liberally from in this uh, series. He calls this circle the circle of our homes, the dotted circle. It's a porous circle. That means it includes both people from our faith community, those who are committed to follow Jesus, those who would come to the table and say yes to putting Jesus in the center of their lives and moving towards him with each other, and people who are not part of this community. People who would never say yes to this, but are somehow interested in us, somehow interested in coming to the table. And so this second table is a mix of both people who are inside and people who are outside. Um, and I think that this, this is really key for us to understand. Because the dotted table, or the dotted circle that we have in our houses, it's the key link between this table and the half circle, or the closed circle and the half circle, the table that we come to here and mission that we do in our world. And so let me just give a couple minutes here to kind of expand on this idea, because I think it's very, very important for us. I said this at the beginning of the series, but I want to repeat it again. If we only focus on the close table, or we only really focus on what we do here, what will end up happening is that we'll go into maintenance mode. So we'll be a church that's really just focused on what happens here. And David Fitch says, actually, most of the churches in the Western world, this is what we do. We focus on maintenance, we focus on this gathering, and we focus on what's happening here, on getting people to the close table. And our church, like I said when I talked about this previously, like I think we're, we're not stuck in maintenance mode. I don't want to make it sound like that, but we're in maintenance mode for a lot of reasons. One of them is just that we tried to keep the doors open, not even just to this place, to like any place, for like several years. And so we're coming out of that season where we're in maintenance mode. Other people kind of react to this when their experience of the church is all internal focus, all internal focus. And so they go to the other side, which is to the half circle, and just do a mission. What do we even need the church for? But that also leads to a problem. It leads to burnout. So what happens if we actually say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to keep this close circle. We're going to focus on here, but we're also going to focus on mission. But we omit the idea of, of the in-between. 
Well, I think what we miss is then the pathway through which people are sent out from this place into mission, and we miss the pathway in which people are brought in to God's family. I'm not saying necessarily into this gathering, but people who are going to say yes to Jesus. The home in, in the tables that we host, maybe would be a better way of saying that, is the key to go in between those two places. The, and I, I think what will happen, and I think this is what has happened in a lot of the churches, we won't see people sent out on mission in the proper ways into their, maybe you'll go on mission to Africa for a week or something like that, but you won't be sent on mission to your workplace or into your neighborhood. And people from your neighborhood and your workplace won't be coming into God's family. And I think that that's basically the state of what I would say the Western church is at right now. And so another way of saying it is like this. If we leave out this section, um, or put it this way, you could be fake in here. We come together here for an hour and a half, and I hope you're not. This is not an invitation to be fake. You could be fake in here. You can be fake for the one hour a month that you go volunteer on the downtown east side. The home is key because the home is probably truly who you are. Who we are at home really says a lot about actually who we are. The sweatpants come on. We let ourselves down. That's actually who we are. You know, to um, paraphrase Archbishop William Temple, religion is who we are in the tables of our home when we're at rest. And so it's really important for us to understand that the home is a really key place for the conduit for people moving out to mission from this place and moving into the community. Now, I'll say this. Our family is, isn't in the most hospitable season of our lives for having people in our home. There's loads of reasons for that. Uh, and my wife and I are consistently negotiating and wrestling through what it might be to make the table of our home a more open place. But I can tell you from my experience that many of the important in-between conversations happen in our home. We hosted a community group for about 12 years. And uh, so many of the things we talk about here, it's like in this, a lot of it is a one-way conversation. I'm just, you know, droning on and on, and you just sit there so kindly listening to me. But the, the home and the community group is the place where we actually ask the questions. How does this look in my life? And I can't tell you how many important conversations we had with people around the dining table of our home during something like a community group. And so they might see something that I just think is very normal. Oh, that's my, how I might pray for my kids. That's... Or, or, or with our family, like we live in downtown, and they may, like, people have thought, like, oh, that's how, I guess five people can live in a thousand square feet without causing brain damage to anyone. Like, this is actually possible. Or, for example, they'll meet a friend of ours in the, in the hallway when we lived in a condo or, or, you know, outside of our doors, and we just introduce them to them normally. Oh, this is a person that we know from our faith community. And they've just never thought about how, you know, a lot of us, when we start talking about faith, it's like we just came from working at a renaissance fair, where we're just like, this stuff be my pastor. And I'm just like, why are you talking like that? It's just a weird thing that we do as Christians. And, and so it's even those kinds of things, they just get modeled, and the questions get asked, and people see an opportunity to actually, oh, this is how I might be able to share with my coworkers, be a faithful presence in my work. You know, be someone in my neighborhood who is on mission for God. And we share the stories in our community group. And I'll say exactly the same thing happens the other way. I used to work for an organization called Power to Change. Uh, So I was a campus pastor uh, for about eight years here in the Lower Mainland. And over that time, I was privileged to see people come to faith. Many people come to faith. And one of the things I realized in the difference between um, uh, people sticking with faith the area that was key actually was this home area. 
The people who actually I had in my life and in my home are people who stuck around. And the people who, who I didn't, they often didn't stick around. They may have prayed a prayer. They may have made a, a really sincere uh, uh, commitment of faith, but oftentimes it didn't stick with them. And there's a, a girl that I worked with who's probably one of the most talented evangelists I've ever met in my life. So she's very good at leading people to faith. But so many of the people that she led to faith actually stuck around. And one of the reasons is she lived on campus and her home became a place where people could move through. It was, it was the difference between my life and hers. I was living in like Surrey and Burnaby at the time and people couldn't come to our place, but hers was always open and that's, it was a key thing for people actually moving from just saying yes to Jesus to actually having faith become a part of their life, where there are growing people that were part of the community. And so our homes become this really important place for both people to go out into the world and people to come into the world. So, it's a portal, maybe, is the best way of thinking about it. So, so these are two just quick observations to understand what's happening in the, uh, at the table in the home. So, let's, let's now briefly look at what this passage teaches us about hosting. About hosting. And I want to make three observations. Let's first quickly look at the last section of verses again. So, it says, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking to heaven, he blessed and broke them. So Jesus in this passage is responsible for the meal. He is technically the one who creates the meal. But listen to how it's, it's actually given out. He kept giving the meal to the disciples to set out before the crowd. So Jesus isn't actually the one giving out the meal to anyone else like he does at the close table. But instead, he asks the disciples to set out the meal. And this needs to be our mentality if we're to host in the way that God invites us to host is that what we're doing is taking what God has provided and setting it out in front of other people. And so no matter what, I, what I'm setting out in my house, whether it's a 10-course meal or just, you know, a half bag of chips that I put on the coffee table, whatever it is, I'm invited to see that in, in, lar- in, in, in part of the larger story. That God has first provided a meal for me, and now I'm able to set that out in front of other people. Another way of saying it is that we come first to this table. Every meal that we set out in our house, whether it's the, you know, the last dinner of the week for your partner or your family, or whether it is you know, this big lavish meal that you're going to have, every meal that we set out, we come to this table first to say thank you. We come as a guest here. And then that's where we learn to host. We receive, we become one who is thankful, and that is the position from which we're to offer and extend the table out to other people. So guest first and host second. That's the first thing we learn. Let's just keep going. Now, one of the things that is interesting to me about the story of the the feeding of the 5,000, probably many of us have heard this, even if you've never read the Bible before, you may have heard of this story. And it's it's a really unrelatable story in some ways. Like, I don't know if any of you have been at a party where five loaves of bread got turned into enough food for 5,000. I haven't been uh, at one of those parties. If you have been, I wouldn't mind an invite just to, like, check it out and see what happens. But I've never been to a party like that. So in one case, I think the story is unbelievably unrelatable. But there's a part to me that becomes extremely relatable if we think about what's happening in this story. So Jesus and the disciples have just been ministering, and they're trying to get away. That's, what, that's the start of the story. They're trying to get some rest, which is, I think, how a lot of us think about our homes. My home is like I go to work, and then I come to my home. It's a place of rest where I get to like, just hang out and be myself. Like I said, put the, put the sweatpants on, throw on Netflix. That's how we envision our home. And of course, our homes are kind of like that. But that's what the disciples are feeling. 
And, and instead, what happens is all these randos show up at your house, which is what hosting can feel like. And you're like, oh, I guess I got to take the sweatpants back off and get changed. And you're on the spot to host people. That's what the disciples are feeling. And they're like, look, Jesus, classic. Again, we, we shared the Google Calendar with you, and you didn't put the people in it. So we're not ready to host 5,000 men and all of their families, like classically, you know? So send them away to get a bit of food. And then Jesus classically is like, oh, yeah, so you just give them something to eat. And this, I think, is where the story, the feelings of the story become very relatable. I don't know, once again, if you've had 5,000 men in your home. But, like, I can understand that tension. Where I know I should be hospitable, like, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, I should be hospitable, but... And it's all these butts. Like, I don't have a kid's playroom. It's like, I don't know what your kids are going to do at my house. Or I don't have a house in the suburbs. Or I don't know how to cook. Or I don't have a cast iron pan for the recipe that I wanted. Or I don't have enough time. Or I don't have enough money for my own groceries with this inflation, never mind to feed another family. And it's just this, I don't. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I don't. I don't have this, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. And that's where the story for me becomes very relatable. And I think all of those concerns, whatever those I don'ts for you are, they're legitimate. I'm not trying to gloss over that they are there. And interestingly, in Luke's account of this story, Jesus doesn't even address those concerns. He just moves on. But Mark, who who almost has verbatim story, he does address what happens in there. So I want to look at what he says. So again, the disciples are like, hey, it's late you know, we should send these people to go get some food and lodging. And, and so uh, Jesus says, go get them something to eat. And this is what uh, the disciples respond in the Gospel of Mark. It says, should we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? So a denarii is a day's wage. So it's like, can I, should I take two-thirds of my salary to go buy food for these? Like, and they're being sarcastic here. They're like, come on, Jesus. I'm not going to go take, you know, whatever, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 and go buy uh, the, the food. And it's like, I don't even ha- we don't even have this kind of money. Like, I don't know what you think we have in this money bag, Jesus, but it's not $50,000. And again, this is how we can feel, right? Come on, Jesus. Like, I can't invite 5,000 people. I live in 100 square feet. Everything in here is Ikea. All I have is ramen. Like, we're not ready to host, okay? And, and here's where I love Jesus' response. And here's where we're going in the second point. You know what he says to the disciples? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. This is the question that Jesus wants to give to us as we host, that he gives to the disciples. What do you have? And I think this is so relatable for me and for our family, I think, because we focus on what we don't have. We don't have this. We don't have that. We don't have that. We can't host very well. And the question of Jesus is, is, is yeah, of course you don't. But what do you have that you could offer to make your home a conduit for mission. That's the question that he's, he's offering. And again, it comes within the story that he's invited us to this table first. What he's saying is, come to my meal and see what I've offered for you. This is my body, my blood given for you. I have given of what I have for you. So I'm not asking you to give of what you don't have, but what do you have? And would you use that to carry my story into your home, into your calendar? And that's why we keep emphasizing that the communion table is ground zero 
for learning how to be in these other tables of our lives. That we take this story and we practice it. It's supposed to inform everything that we do. I, I say this sometimes. It's like a jump. This is like a, not a jungle gym. I don't know why I went there. It's a gymnasium. It's a gymnasium. One of my friends says, it's the, the Sunday morning is like the Jesus dojo where we learn how to work out. I was like, that's too corny for me. But like, it's a gymnasium. That's what we're doing here is we're practicing what we're going to be doing in our homes. We're learning the story, and we're extending it to our homes. Jesus hosts us here, and we learn from how he hosts in order to how we're hosts in these other places. So the question isn't, what don't you have? We could make a laundry list in our family, and I'm sure each of you could, of what you don't have in order to host people. But what do you have? And maybe Jesus wants to make something of that, where his story can be carried in and through your homes. Let me just riff on this for a minute. Uh, this is supposed to be a very practical series, which is really hard for me. I don't like telling you what to do. And um, I find when I do tell you what to do, you're like, I don't want to do that. So, um, <laughs> but <laughs> part of the challenge of this story, again, is to offer up what we have. And many of us, I think, miss this invitation from Jesus because actually part of it is we don't see what we have. So I think we're focused on what we don't have, but we also don't see what we have. So in our family, it'd be like this. Our fa- our, our, we don't have a yard. We don't have a lot of space. We don't have a lot of money to host people. Okay, And these are the things that we tend to focus on. Sometimes our house is a mess. It's not clean. Those are the things that, I, that we tend to focus on. But here's one thing I've been reflecting on. What we do have in our home is a lot of people. Some might say too many people in our home. And I absolutely take this for granted. For almost 17 years... I've sat down in our home at our table, and almost every day there's been somebody else there with me. Either it's my wife, or now it's our kids, and we sit down together at a meal. That there's almost everybody, someone there every day. Now, as an introvert, I don't, to be honest, always think of this as something that's positive. Um, And you may feel the same way. You might be like, look, if you want me to experience some resonance, the best thing you can do is pour me a glass of wine, get me a bowl of pasta, and it just needs to be quiet. I don't want to see or hear anyone else. But the people that we have in our home is something we have to offer. I don't often think of it this way. It's what I have. And so I can offer it to, to, for God to extend his table. And I think this is so key for us to think about. You know, Vancouver is, is the, always the loneliest city in Canada. Almost always gets mentioned like that. And we have people in our lives and people in our community who are lonely, and people who live alone for various reasons. And some of you are like, well, hold on, I really like living alone, okay? I'm not saying living alone is bad, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying what we have to offer for some of us is people, is community, is a table where people sit down at a meal once in a while. This is what I have. And on and, and the opposite side, again, if you're living alone or you're single, and I, I don't think these are bad things at all. I'm not trying to say they are. But you also might have something to offer to us. Maybe what you have is time. You can come and play with a kid while a parent cooks or something like that. Some of you have a bit more expendable income, so you can come over to someone's house and bring some food. Maybe bring dessert. Maybe bring that bottle of wine. I don't know what it is, but there is something that we all have to offer as we think about what it means to be hosts. Again, I get so focused on what I don't have instead of what I do have. What do you have? 
And again, and, and I think, what have we created a space in this community? If we're supposed to be an outpost of what it means to be the family of God, and if this is the ground zero where we come together, single, married, big house, small house, lots of money, not a lot of money, what does that mean if we extend it into our homes? And I'm not saying that you need to do this every day. But what if you just started where you're at and just moved it up a little bit? What if you just did it once a quarter? You invited somebody who doesn't have a lot of people around their table to come sit with you and eat dinner. What if you did it once a month or once a week? Whatever it is. If this table is our model, then we need to think very carefully about how we extend that into our homes. And it changes how we think about what we have and what we don't have. Where is your focus? Is it on what you don't have or on what you do have? And are you willing to use that for God's kingdom, just as Jesus used it for us? So according to this passage, the first two things, hosting comes from a place of thankfulness. We come first here as guests, and that's where we learn, and we get the, the desire to become hosts. And the second is, it, it, it's not asking the question, what don't I have, but what do I have? What do I have, and am I willing to take that, to bless it, to break it, and to offer it to other people? just as Jesus does here. And finally, hosting is ultimately about tending to the presence of God among us. You know, I think when we we host, uh, the focus often becomes on the details of like the who, who's coming, you know, what are we making, uh, what time are they getting here, how many allergies do they have, when are they leaving, who's bringing dessert, right? It's all these important details. And those things are important. I'm not saying they aren't. If you, This is why I'm not a good host, is because I don't think of any of those things. People just show up, and I'm like, there is lots of water in the tap, actually. <laughs> You're welcome to as much of it as you'd like. Um, so these are important details. I'm not saying they aren't. And they're roles of hosting. Not that, again, we need to be like kinfolk, or whatever, but we could just, they are things to think about as, as you host. And some of the best people, like I've said in our community, that host, we can learn from them. Like thinking about lighting. Never thought about it a day in my life, okay? But it's just like these kinds of things. But the key role, actually, if we're going to take this table into our homes and not just be hosts that we read a good book on hosting about, is, is slightly different. Listen to how David Fitch says this. The host does somehow not somehow take control of the table. It's not about taking control. It's not about having all those details dialed. Although if that's you, fantastic. Once again, I'm happy to be invited over anytime. It's not about having everything all, you know, architectural digesty in your house. That's not the role of the host, but to facilitate the table around the presence of Christ. To reorder, who reorders the world into his kingdom. As hosts who are taking this table and extending it to our homes, that's actually the key thing that we're doing, is attentiveness to the presence of Jesus. The host allows the space to be open for Christ to meet our needs, and so much more. This is the most important role we have as hosts. And again, all the other stuff is really important. You probably don't necessarily want to be hosted by me at our house. It's not going to be like good vibes. So think of that other stuff, but this is the most important thing that we come together to do. If this table is actually ground zero for where we're starting, which is we come together around the presence of Jesus. As a host, are you opening space? Are you recognizing that God is there with you, And there's loads of things you could talk about about that, about how we do that. Maybe it's lighting a candle. Maybe it's about recognizing the meal. Maybe it's about turning phones off. Maybe it's about asking intentional questions to people. It's about being intent, uh, attentive to the presence of God among us. 
I think, in valuing people around the table, listening for those stories of alienation and resonance around the table, and then drawing our stories together around the story of Jesus, who's the ultimate host. And again, there's loads of things we could talk about on how to do that, and and many of you would know uh, better than I would. But rather than giving instructions, what God actually gives us is a practice to learn how to make space for God, which is what we're about to do now is that we come to the table together, that this is where we learn how to make space for God, by asking those questions to ourselves, by responding in all the ways that we're going to respond, by coming forward for communion, by praying, by giving, by worshiping, by confession with one another. And so Jesus invites us to this practice to learn how to be host, to make space for him. And so we invite you to come to the table to look for Jesus, who who is the one waiting for us here. You know, Augustine has this beautiful saying, He says, Jesus is the bread awaiting hunger. Jesus is the wine awaiting thirst. He invites you to the table to come hungry, to come thirsty, to be filled, to be restoried, and then to take that out into our world. To be restored by our great host and then to live his story out into those tables that we have in our homes. So let's pray, and then I'll give you some some guidance on how to come to the table. God, thank you for this story, for this passage. And again, like I feel on one hand that it's very unrelatable and uh, at the same time that it, I feel very, um, I feel a lot of resonance with what the disciples are going through. And so I pray as people um, who often do focus, I think, on what we don't have, that you invite us to this table this morning in order to see what we do have in you. God, as we come forward, may you meet us here. As we pray with one another, may we open ourselves to our stories to each other and open space for you to meet with us, to minister to us. As we sing, we ask that the stories and the songs that we, or the stories that we bring may be um, corrected by the songs that we sing, by the lyrics that we sing, and by the voices of those around us. So we just invite you to meet with us in this time, and we pray that each one of our homes would become these spaces where your story is told and where we uh, know you are present with us. We thank you for these things and pray them together in Christ's name. Amen.